Drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello and welcome to Drive-by Cinema, episode 16 of season 2. I am your host, Roundhead Rick. Uh, with me is my host, Cavalier Paul. Well, my hair is growing, and not just to cover my bald patch. But I've never been, dis- I have been described as Cavalier, but not in the sense that you're making out a royalist. But yes, a royalist. Well, no, well, I'm not. I mean, in any sense, I don't oh. think. Uh, but thank you for. The introduction, Richard. It's episode 16 of Series 2, as you say, of Drive-By Cinema. Wow, yeah. You're not a royalist, so you would uh, you would uh, not support the monarchy. You want to abolish the monarchy, is that is that true? I think I prefer to see it peter out quietly. You know, ah. Leave its shoes on the, on the, on the, on the, on the beach side and <laughs> wander slowly into the sea. Because the last Charles that we had as a king was beheaded, wasn't he? That's how he exited his position. <laughs> sounds like wishful thinking in your part, Richard. You're not a fan of Prince Charles, are you? Has to be said. I'm nervous about his position on homeopathy and alternative medicine, <laughs> and his what I think are rather r- retrograde views on architecture. Okay, well, bloody we've, hell, we discussed Poundbury. Did we discuss it on the podcast? We did, didn't we? I think. I think, with, we, I with, think we did, with, yeah. With our good pal, who's currently fronting uh, some great comedy nights in Manchester. With our good pal Jacob, is that not Jacob. Right? Yeah. That's true, yeah. But on the other hand, as I may have said at the time, I'm not persuaded that I'm not... Paul, you're rustling around in your duvet there. You're particularly cold. It is a cold. There's a storm coming. Winter is coming. It's a storm, apparently, they say. Uh, I, you know, I'd be happy for a bicycle riding kind of Dutch constitutional monarchy where uh, they're obliged to ride a bicycle and nothing else. Uh, <laughs> and uh, but before then, I really would like to see a separation of their private wealth from from the public from the public coffers. You know, and I'm happy to give them a really good payoff. You know, I'm happy for them to walk away with ten billion, twenty billion, thirty billion. I'm just not happy for them to walk away with all our coastline, and most of our seabed. Oh, really? I didn't know that. But what are you going to do with seabed? I mean, oil is it input? Wind farms. Oil's no use anymore, is it? Wind farms. Okay, fair enough. No, so so you're not a fan of Charles for his homeopathic tendencies. But what I don't want is an elected head of state who could, after all, be someone as bad as Boris Johnson, like for for instance, Richard for dictator. Okay, vote. Well, don't vote. He's just going to take over. Do you know, they say... You know, How do you stop someone like that getting the, becoming the head of state? With a determined 3% of the populace, apparently, you could stage a coup in any country, no matter how advanced or how loyal it's populace. So you just need to convince... That, that last caveat is a big bit. Yeah, you have to be like a, you have to be like a colonel or what they call higher-up commander of the army. But if you can command 3% support, and that support is within your ranks, or, or you know, associated with the people in your ranks, then... You've got the country; it's yours. There's no need for for democracy or people's opinions or any of those kind of things. Well, that's what they say. Anything would be better than Boris Johnson, wouldn't it? Or is it? I, don't I mean, if you're if you're one of the rich people in the country, stroke the world, you can afford to make mistakes with your medical 
you know, practice or whatever, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. The medical interventions that you seek out. Because someone's going to look after them, aren't they? That's the thing. Even when they're doing homeopathy, there's a real doctor around as well who's giving them real medicine. So it doesn't matter for those guys. I, I, had, a, I had a Chinese but, friend who made a fortune doing that. Absolute fortune. Doing what? He, like, what? He, he packaged this? up all these Chinese herbs and what. And uh, but then he put some like paracetamol in there as well, <laughs> and like <laughs> like wow, it really cures your headache. This you know, they were paid two hundred you know two hundred dollars a time for you know these big sort of uh, if you ever seen Chinese expensive Chinese meds, all these like uh, lots of plastic packaging. In fact, the only thing that worked in there was the paracetamol, and obviously you made a fortune because paracetamol cost nothing. So but that's really dangerous because if if he's not being honest about paracetamol in his medicine. No, I think it was in there in the ingredients. It's just, you know, you have to look at the ingredients and find out there's paracetamol. You do have to be careful about taking too much paracetamol in different forms. You know, if you take Lemsip and take a paracetamol... Is there paracetamol in Lemsip? That's news to me. Yeah. Well, this is it. No one reads the labels. And paracetamol is a pharmaceutical which has a narrow range between the effective dose and the, the lethal dose. Well, certainly the harmful dose. So you can very easily do yourself a mischief by taking too much paracetamol. Right. So back to Boris and whatever he said. So what did he say, Richard? I mean, he did a speech, didn't he, to some business oh, a speech about what convention? I don't. I don't know. You just. I just endlessly heard on loop. It seemed on the radio. I was hearing clips from his speech where he uh, flustered and lost his place. And- I'm. I'm. I'm sorry. Uh, forgive me. Forgive me. Oh, forgive me. <laughs> but that, that wasn't the main point about the speech. Uh, it was the more that he's referencing Peppa Pig World. Right. Yeah. What is Peppa Pig World? Peppa Pig World is like the little amusement park where you go to enjoy all things Peppa Pig. I didn't know there was such a place. Where it's, is Peppa Pig World? Well, this is it. It was up where it was in the northeast, uh, nearby to where he's giving the speech to the CBI. And uh, he was just saying that the Peppa Pig franchise itself is worth two billion, uh, and you know was a great example of the free market aspect of the British economy. Uh, and it, apparently, it was very inappropriate. People were suggesting he had lost his mind or lost his ability to run the country. <laughs> I'm not sure that's either proved or disproved. Well, he never, he never had that, did he? <laughs> but there we go. It may be. You're right. Maybe in 50 years' time, there'll be a pig-based entertainment brand. That owns all of the major films and <laughs> franchises and has it's, it's, it's something to look forward to, isn't it? <laughs> Apparently, in the US, there's a bit of a kind of thing where kids are speaking with British accents because they've been watching Peppa Pig. Which wow. is charming. <laughs> that is charming. Okay. Well, maybe we should review one. But that's not what we did this week. This week, well, after the music... We will explain. In the English Civil War, where this film is set, that occurred at a time long before the invention of colour photography. And as a consequence, this film... It's shown entirely in black and white. That makes no sense whatsoever. But I think you intended it to make no sense. I mean, photography did not exist, did it? 
at all. It did not, no, because the English Civil War happened. Do you, do you know what's going to happen now is two people who, I mean, I have very little knowledge of this era of history. <laughs> I'm guessing you do. You don't either. But we're going to now hey, start talking about the English I, Civil yeah, War. I have absolutely no knowledge of this era. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna wax lyrical and be opinionated, but that's what this podcast, well, for me at least, is for. So there we go. Very much all about that's on, on topic. So this film, a field in England, yes. set during the English Civil War, and also filmed but, in a field in England. It would seem almost exclusively. Well done. Then. Yeah, the, the title's very on the tip. Uh, very does what it, it says. Is, yeah. Here's the question though: Why was it set in the English Civil War? <laughs> Look, let me start off by telling you what I know about different wars in the state of the UK and England at that oh, time. Right. Okay, yeah. right. There's a yeah. hundred year war, but that was like way, way before. And that was. It wasn't a hundred years, was it? It wasn't. And that was between France and England, yeah? There was a 30 years war. I said, let me finish. And that's basically when we lost, because we used to own most of France, didn't we? And we lost, I don't know about most of it. We lost quite we a lot owned, of it. Like, Brittany and Normandy. And no, stuff. before then, we owned even more than that. Oh, right. I, okay. I think by the time we got to whatever that war it was, we were just down to Britain a bit, a bit north of Carcassonne or Perpignan. I don't know. Yeah, but then we lost it all. Yeah, apart from Guernsey and and those inbred bits. Yeah. Apart from the Madagascar. <laughs> oh gosh, I'm being racist. Apart from the Madagascar of France, you know, we lost it. We lost it. All. Uh, and uh, so this is after that. Yeah, am I right in thinking this? And this is Oliver Cromwell's time. And it's Oliver before, Cromwell. And it's before all the crazy German kings and queens. So, The new model army. Oliver Cromwell credited as kind of inventing a professional army, isn't he? Is that right? I believe so, yeah. See, it wasn't Mr. Gorilla, was he? No, I think before the, this, armies were kind of levied troops, weren't they? There were people, farmers, and people who had other jobs. Obviously, the Romans well, had we get We get so mentioned this in this movie, don't we? Hmm. When they talk of their backstories and how they came to be in, in a field in England, you know, we find out. But certainly of the modern era, I think Cromwell's army, you know, is the first sort of standing, fully paid professional soldiery kind of stuff. Wow. I believe, that's what I've heard anyway. And where did he take that inspiration from? Because he, was, he wasn't a military man particularly, was he? No clue, no clue. But he did win in the end, of course, for the parliamentarians and... He did chop the head off King Charles, didn't he? Wow. But weirdly, and this I do not understand, this era of British history, but after uh, after chopping the king's head off, yeah. Cromwell did decide, actually, you know what? Let's give this monarchy thing another go. And <laughs> I'll be king. <laughs> but no, that's the opposite of what he did, wasn't it? Oh. Didn't he? He didn't want to become king, so they reinstated a prince on... To the crown, as it were. And, you know, it, you'd think it would be difficult to do that, wouldn't you? Once you've chopped the head off the king, to go back to the royal family and say, actually, do you want to be king again? Um, it, it, it seems like a sort of poison chalice, doesn't it? <laughs> Whoa. Not quite sure how that was arranged. So this whole area of British history is a, a mystery, you know. I, mean, I think um, what you have to do is you have to realise that all this is tied up with religion. Isn't it? I mean, previously we'd had, you know, the sequestering of um, monasterial riches under Henry VIII for religious and, but mainly political reasons, I think, uh, or expedient political reasons of, of, of you know, 
gain of power. Uh, but Cromwell, of course, was a Protestant, wasn't he? Well, I thought that Henry VIII invented Church of England so he could get divorced, didn't he? Sure, and to seize. Yeah, obviously, half he did the land of England, Rome. which was owned, which is owned by the yeah. Roman Catholic Church at the time. But I don't know with Cromwell. Uh, I certainly know that afterwards, you know, his new in his new society, I think he did like Napoleonic things where he reinvented the dates and stuff like that. Uh, but he certainly, you know, began to insist. I mean, this is just a bit before Puritanism, but there were very similar things to what to what became known as Puritanism. But it became a Puritan society, didn't it? No clue. Again, this is way out of my area of expertise. Anything I've said in the last five minutes can probably cheerfully be disregarded. (laughs) Well, if Blackadder is to be believed, the prince who was waiting for the restoration effectively was a bit of an idiot. So maybe they thought they could, you know, manipulate him. But I don't know. In any case... Obviously... <clears throat> well, sorry, carry on, Paul. Practically, I mean, in terms of what the what Oliver Cromwell's army is left us with, is lots of gold coins next to old bridges. So, really, yeah, that's all my father took me to do on a Sunday was metal detect around 16th uh-huh. century bridges in Lancashire. In Lancashire, and you found and coins, we, and we had to ride touring bikes to get there with metal detectors on the back. And a lightweight two kilogram te- bicycle tent as well. So, and how many coins did you find? If you find any coins, Richard, that are of that era, you have to declare them to. Uh, I, I don't even know how you do that. How do you declare something to a museum? What do you do? Well, if you didn't, if you didn't know the authority to go to, you'd have to phone the local police station as a first, as a, as a first beginning, wouldn't you? Well, h- hello, local police. I'd like to declare. An archaeological find. So if we had found any coins... They wouldn't have been yours. They would have been declared. Right, I see what you're saying. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I understand. You've got got a a pot of gold stashed away somewhere. Who knows where it came from? Uh, And yeah, it's a little nasty. In any case, I think uh, shipwrecks, you're okay to pretty much... Salvage, law, salvage, yeah, they're salvage laws, yes. Uh, um, there are a few famous shipwrecks off the coast of uh, of uh, Liverpool and, and Lancashire. So, the, but but they're on the, the seabed, which you cl- you claim is the the monarchs. Right. Okay. So uh, we're following. Well, it, it's not it's not a band of merry men. It's a band of particularly miserable men, and they're not a band. They 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 come together by accident. But they're all pretty much on the round uh, on the on the uh, long hair side, are they? The cavalier side. Well, you don't know, do you? This well, the is what dress, I mean. the dress. Well, two are scavengers, aren't they? Two are scavengers, so they're wearing the coats of the soldiers they've scavenged. Listen, this say. is what I mean. This doesn't have any relevance to anything we've been speaking about, about the Civil War. In fact, to my mind, this story works just as well as a, as a pirate story. Because effectively what they're doing is looking for buried treasure, as we discover. It doesn't need the context of the English Civil War, does it? I don't think so, other than the fact that they're clearly in a dangerous situation, life is kind of cheap, some of the guys have got guns, and there's a rigid social hierarchy that they all seem to all be falling into. Although I don't know why. I don't know why they're so deferential toward the 
alchemist guy. Uh, uh, you know what? You know what rank or power does he have? It's not clear, really. I don't know. And he's That's a very he's an point. Irishman. So if he's on the Cavalier side, if he is, is he? He's pro pro royal, is he? That Irish guy. The Ir- yeah, I think most Irish landlords and you know the, the landed uh, esquires beneath them would almost all be Catholic and pro royalist in Ireland at the time. This was. Prior to the potato famine, wasn't it? So, so there wasn't much sense of insurrection in Ireland at the time. It was quite a sleepy place, I think, in in, in the whole of the British Isles. But I'm not sure it was part of the UK or the, the beginning of the UK at this time, or was it? Again, so what was he doing? Ignorance abounds on this podcast today. <laughs> now, the, the character we're following is played by Rhys Shearsmith. Yes. Of League of Gentlemen and Inside Number Nine. Uh, uh, so, you know, I want to like this movie, if only because of Reese Shearsmith. His name is Whitehead, the character. That's his character. And he's like, and he describes himself as a diviner, a diviner, a, a, an astrologer. An alchemist um, assistant, or a, a, not an alchemist, a apothecary's assistant, essentially. Yeah. And at the beginning of the film, he seems to be escaping from the battlefield where someone who is obviously his superior is shouting at him because he's not yeah. done something right. Now, this is either done well or done badly, depending on what you view about the, the budget. You know, the budget was only £300,000, and they had some sure. pretty famous actors. So, in terms of location, they, 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 I think they rented an acre of field and a hedge yes, row. Yes, sure. So, you know, they use the hedgerow as you would as you would a backdrop in the theatre, basically, you know. It's their That's own, right. True. It's their only prop. The hedgerows, they use it quite well. It's almost like yeah. you know, if, you, if you watch Midsummer Night's Dream, you know how Bottom uses is it Bottom that uses like uh, his uh, his thumb and finger to make a hole in the wall kind of thing. It's it's very much a theatrical device. This hedgerow, rather than anything else. Yeah, beyond the hedgerow, we're given to understand a terrible battle is being waged, and the characters who escape. There's some foley. Hedgerow, There's some foley going on, so we can believe there it. is indeed. Uh, and those characters who escape to this side of the hedgerow, to this field, uh, have at least temporarily got reprieve from the battle and are able to escape. But they, I guess they would be considered as deserters from the battlefield, technically speaking. And so there's four of them. There's Whitehead, who you've des- described, and there's two other guys who I continually got mixed up about the very okay. beginning. Do you know why you get mixed up? Because they've both got these very broad-brimmed hats. hats. One has... yeah. One has the kind of uh, the brim to the side. One has mm. the brim to the front, and they do stay that same way. So that's the only way. I had to, I had to backpack and backpedal. I had to backpedal through the entire film to find out who was whom. Okay, so let me tell you, uh, the guy that he first meets is Cutler, Cutler. and he now has he's... The, he has the brow. He has the hat brow to the side, and he's got, <laughs> got he... a northern accent. I think he's a captain. So Cutler is the ranking captain, is he? Yes. The other guy with the southerner, who, who talks a bit like that, he's Jacob. Yeah. Jacob. Yeah. And there's a, a fourth guy who appears to be dead at the start. The guy on the ground. Who he's not dead, and I think this is the first of many occasions where you think he's dead and he gets up again. And he, I don't think he's given a name. He seems to be. But Friend. I'm going to call him Cooper. I'm going to call him Cooper because that was okay. was his job. He was a Cooper, wasn't he? He said he was a Cooper. So Reese Shearsmith does carry this quite well, I think. 
uh, and you get glimpses of uh, Lee Gentleman's humour. Like, he gets his hands dirty, and he's, he's more the gentleman of the four, kind of thing. Uh, and so Cooper says, hey, you know, let me let me clean your hands off, and kind of spits in Shearsmith's <laughs> hand, and then wipes the cow muck further and further and further. But it's a look of just terror and disgust that, uh, you know, that Rhys Shearsmith gives the other actor as he's doing this. It's just, it's, it's, it's semi-comic, but it's also violently horrific at the same time, the look that he gives him. So, you know, he, he's a great actor, isn't he? He is a great actor. And he does, as you say, he does really carry a lot of this film. But there's lots of good actors in it, aren't there? Yeah. The, Julian Barrett was his CO, who dies immediately near the beginning of the uh, You want to get two or three minutes of him, yeah. In fact, he was shot by Cutler, I think. That's right, yeah, Cutler. Who is Ryan Pope, who I think is somebody slightly famous. Maybe. Yeah, and uh, then the the guy the, the guy playing the Irishman, the Irish alchemist, who we meet shortly, uh, he's also famous, isn't he? he was... Michael Smiley. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, good cast, great cast. I'm not going to try and explain this story, Richard, because... It's difficult to explain the story. Plot spoiler, they take mushrooms halfway through. Yeah. Therefore, now, like two of the movies, three of the movies we watched. I was, was going to say every fucking movie that we watch, <laughs> it seems, especially the British ones, it's all about getting high, often on mushrooms. About not being able to tell if it's their experience. <laughs> it's all about sort of uh, sucking out the objectivity from the movie, so we know we no longer know what is objective fact and what is drug drug addled experience, and it's the same for this one. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah, this made me very angry in this film because I'm just getting sick of the same story. It's it's just bad writing. It's, but was it's it magic just, or was it the mushrooms? You know, I, I, we don't know. So <sighs> that's the only thing about this particular era they've set it in is they're trying to mix this idea of alchemy and mysticism and stuff from magic. And God, you know. But I think that's accurate, you know, in, in the medieval mind, the late medieval mind. These things were not separated, were they? So so everything sure. everything kind of ran into each other. Uh, and and their science was, you know, relatively well, a toddler. It's still a still a baby in arms, basically, you know. Uh, so I thought that's one thing they kind of Got was that all of the, all the four men had like or five men let's turn up uh, shared this kid's same kind of folksy I wouldn't say superstitious they don't really get superstitious at any point but there's just a sense that they they, they have no way of rationalizing the world like we do so so we're given to understand that Cutler is kind of engineering this the captain guy he shot the commanding officer of the of Richard Smith of Whitehead yeah. And he's gathered these other two from the battlefield, from the periphery of the battlefield. He marches them down this field, and he makes... He's, he's telling them that he's going to go to an inn that he knows. Yes. So he's leading them to a bit of respite from the battle in this inn. But on the way, they stop, and he makes mushroom soup in the field. <laughs> and we're given to understand that he's trying to drug them to make them more pliable and suggestible. Which I'm not really sure is necessarily an accurate p- depiction of the effect of mushrooms on people. I'm not really sure. But that's the conceit. Whitehead, Richardson's character, doesn't eat the mushroom soup. Either he suspects he's being poisoned, or more likely he just doesn't trust the cooking 
but the others, the other two, eat it happily, and consequently, they go a bit bonkers, don't they? And yeah, you get a lot a of bit bonkers. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You get a lot of the, those kind of arty shots where you're, they're depicting them being completely out of their Help. Out of their I mind. thought that was the most screamingly, most painful moment in the movie was the arty kind of uh, sort of montage of like, uh, I don't know how to express it, but like stills where their faces yeah. are slightly shifted, you know, so you get some sort of blurring. But Yeah, the director here, who, who's I think he's called Ben uh, Wheatley, I think. That's right, yeah. He has this technique that he employs several times in the movie where he just shows a, an image... Of a spider where the, in a web. No, no, where the actors are all sort of posed. It's not a freeze frame. They're all standing still. Uh, but it's posed artfully like perhaps it might be a painting. Uh, and then, then the action just clicks into place and they carry well, it on. it probably means something to him, which is a good <laughs> thing. The other, other thing is like, you know, I mean, I did get, you know, summer... In, in a field in England, in summer vibes, which is a wonderful feeling. If you're in those kind of fields, those those tall fields of wheat or whatever, and, you know, I mean, we got a little bit of that, even though it was in a war zone. We had little spiders, you know, weaving their webs and the sounds of <laughs> an English field and for, for in the middle of nowhere, you know, for no reason. So, yeah, we had these kind of things where he, he stepped away from, from his narrative to do these, some might say indulgent, but let's just call them arty moments, you know. But I think his attempt to montage with stills the experience of taking mushrooms, you know, uh, I, I really can't explain the technique he used, but that was perhaps the most annoying of these artistic moments. The first really trippy bit also corresponds with the first bit where some kind of magic seems to be going on. I don't quite understand. Magic it. with a K, yeah. Okay, but so they've, they've headed out cut. into the field. They've had the mushrooms. Uh, Shootsmith's character hasn't eaten them. Uh, for whatever reason. I, I think he does say that he... Uh, there's a reason he doesn't take it. Oh, he's on a fast. He's observing a fast for, for whatever part of... That's what he says, anyway. Wits and tidies. But he suspects, doesn't he? In any case... I think he may be wise to it. Uh, and Jacob has had a big shit and fallen over into it. That's right, yeah. <laughs> and it, it, it's obvious at this point that uh, that the, uh, the higher-up-ranking guy, what's he called, Cutler, Cutler, is yeah. complicit in a plot to introduce these other three to a magician. Well, the way he does it, though, is he insists that they all get a, get on a rope and pull. What was that is, about? This is really weird, isn't it? Now, you see, that was that was a mushroom, surely. not That didn't really happen, did it? I don't know, because Reese Shearsmith didn't take any, and he was still... Pulling on the rope. So they pull on the rope like... and they pull the, a, an Irishman, and not like a little leprechaun, a big Irishman, out the ground. The, well, I don't know yes. where he came out the ground. He okay, came he out came the out ground. ground. Okay. He came <laughs> out the ground. <laughs> I thought it was tug of war the... against imaginary it people. It was like a tug of war. It was like Squid Games. I thought they're, they're on acid or they're on mushrooms. They're, they're imagining a tug of war with something that doesn't exist. No, he existed and he came out the ground. So what's all that about? And Cutler runs over to him. It's called O'Neill, we learn. We don't know that yet. Cutler runs over to him to see if he's all right. And this guy immediately beats Cutler up. Like, doesn't What he? was all that about? Yeah. That was, that was really weird. Yeah. <laughs> now, at this point, I was like, the main reason I've been brought into this cinema and uh, to this uh, movie theatre was on the promise that this was like performed 
in early Middle English, and it wasn't. It was not, no. That's a real disappointment <laughs> for me. And so, you know, the afterglow of that disappointment just carried on like an ember forever. It's like, oh, God. So now I've got to sit through this on its merits alone. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, so th- th- it was about this point that I, I just kind of thought, right, I've got to get through it. So O'Neill is the main antagonist, really, isn't he? He's yeah, got a he's particular plan. He's looking for something in this field. Not really explain what it is at this point. Can't find it. He knows, somehow he knows, I think he was maybe a, an apprentice to the same alchemist that White. They know each other, yeah. Shearsmith's character and, yeah. uh, and uh, O'Neill, they know each other from before. And O'Neill is going to get Whitehead to help him divine the location of this object with his particular speciality, apparently, of divination. Whitehead is not keen, but O'Neill drags him to a tent that he's pitched somewhere and apparently tortures him. We don't see any of it. We just see the drugged guys outside listening to uh, listening to the sound of, uh, of Whitehead being tortured by this. And then Whitehead Irish. comes out sort of... Uh... Like some sort of bukkake victim. He's, you know, he's, he's wrapped up in Japanese ropes. His eyes are wild and bulging. And he's, he's like a tamed animal, isn't he? Japanese rope work is not bukkake. There's another name for it. No, I know. I do know what you mean. I wish I knew the name. But yes, that's right. Bukkake, of course, is Bukkake's Castle, if you've seen it on ITV3. There may be Bukkake's Castle. I think a Pornhub search will probably... Settle the matter of whether or not there is a Bukaki's castle. So at this point, we've had no severed heads, no severed hands. So we can't answer that old Buddhist conundrum. What's the old Buddhist conundrum? Does one severed head falling in the woods leave a squelch? (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Buddhist monks had lonely evenings. I guess they're like horror movies too, or horror stories. So we now get the next trippy scene. I'll just go home, shall I? Look, go on, go on, Richard. We now get the next trippy... You try and carry a serious end of this podcast for us. We now get the next trippy scene where Reed Shearsmith, on a rope, runs around the field like a, a rabid dog uh, all over the place while they're all following. <laughs> and finds the treasure, or, or you know, divines well, the treasure. He, he says this is where the treasure is, which is oddly right outside the tent where they started. He then drops down to his <laughs> knees, and, and I can't remember why, he throws up for some reason. And he throws up a bunch of stones. Oh, were they, with, were they gold runes, I thought they were? With runes carved on them. Oh, they were, run- they were runic, but whether gold or stone, we don't know. Well, I guess it was, well, it was in black and white, we can't tell, can we? Can't fucking tell it's in black and white. Yeah. O'Neill's quite excited by these regurgitated rune stones, and he takes them back to the tent to study with his papers. <laughs> Nothing ever seems to come of that. I don't understand that bit. Does that, does that ever pay off? What? what well, I think it would convince about? you that you know you 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 your trussed up dog is actually a real diviner dog. You know, I mean, it, it would convince me. So there we go. Now, Whitehead, who is also a physician, as it were, what you know, the closest thing they have to a doctor. Physic. The they used to call it a physic. A physic. Okay. Yes, they do. So he offers to treat Jacob for. His venereal disease, which all is kinds crazy. of venereal disease. Yeah, he says he's got a lot of things wrong with him, having examined his penis, which we see actually, don't we? We actually get to see full frontal. Of oh, I thought that was uh, Cutler's. He goes to pee on them all at the end. No, oh, we see two penises. Wow, did we see Cutler's? I don't. No, they make a comment about it, don't they? 
No, 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 no. They're they're digging like in the in the uh, in the area where they found the treasure or whatever, or they're looking for the treasure. And Cutler comes to pee on them, so we do see his. I didn't realize we saw two. Wow, good value for money. Black and white penises in a, in a costume drama. Who would have thought it? Now he then drinks some of the beer or wine. I think maybe he gives the... him a posy to put on his penis. <laughs> he does, yeah, a poultice, not a posy. Uh, it looks like a posy. And then there's that weird moment after he drinks the wine, where he maybe is hallucinating, and does he see like a black hole or an object in the sky over the field? Oh dear God! I don't know what that meant. I don't know what that meant. No, he he eats a huge, humongous load of mushrooms, Richard. That's after he runs away, doesn't he? He runs around the field oh. and ends up like crawling around. And yeah, he does just <laughs> yam handfuls and handfuls. And then he sees a black sun again. So first time he sees a black sun on wine. Second time he sees it on mushrooms. It's like a trip to Glastonbury, this, isn't it? Anyway. Meanwhile, the two other guys, uh, Cooper and Jacob, are digging a hole. And fighting hole. over the reality of it all. Yeah, they they have a fight, uh, and Cutler at some point pisses on them, or maybe he shoots. He shoots. He pisses on them. Cooper, and doesn't he? Yeah. Accidentally, and, and Cooper, in somebody's dying arm, says, "You know, please get this message to my wife," which is very John Cleese esque. They're like, "What? What's the message? What's the message?" I fucking hate her, and I slept with her sister. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know John Cleese and Les Dawson? Uh, John Cleese appeared on the Les Dawson show, didn't he, when Les got his first show in like the mid-70s, where John was between gigs, basically. You no, know, uh, Flying Circus had ended, and Faulty Towers hadn't yet begun. Well, Faulty Towers, what, 75, 76? And John was in a real dry patch, so he said yes to Les, who's, you know, a brilliant comic, but very much of the Northern Workingman's Club Circuit and Northern Music Hall. But they, they were really good because they did like an officer and uh, officer and soldier sketch. You know, that was obviously John had written, uh, where like, you know, it's like, uh, Dawson, come here and send this message over there. It's just, oh, what, what's the message? I'm just going to write it down for you. Here we go. Uh, Dawson has died sending this message, and, you know, that kind of thing. So played, <laughs> played a, you know, kind of Ecclesian logic kind of stuff. And I thought this had something of that, uh, whatever we were just talking about. What were we just talking about? Oh, yeah, so his last message to his wife. Uh, the fool, he essentially is the fool in, in, of the four of them, although they're all quite foolish. Uh, but he's the genuinely stupid kind of guy. And uh, he's like, you know, tell my wife I hate her, that I screwed her sister. Which I thought yeah. was one, one of the funniest moments of the movie. It was either just played for laughs, or it was like a really moving way for the dying man to to make his wife not mourn him anymore. But, it, I mean, it's billed it's build as a horror, this. Uh, uh, I just don't see how you can build it as any genre <laughs> at all. It's just madness in any case. Cutler ends up having to dig the hole himself, doesn't he? I think O'Neill puts him in there after um, after he shoots Cooper. And that's right. Yeah. Cutler is in there, like wishing he was back in London because I think he's a city boy and obviously a full time captain. So. He's cursing and moaning the fact that he's having to dig a hole in the countryside. And at some stage, O'Neill, I think, then shoots Cutler. Well, there's kind of like a, a weird, somewhat difficult to follow shootout, a, a Western style shootout. But it's very disjointed and disjunctive. 
Well, uh, Whitehead so- and Jacob end up with Cutler's uh, firearm musket or whatever it was. Well, meanwhile, O'Neill is like chasing after Whitehead, and he's in the middle of the field. I can't remember why he ended up there, but they manage to shoot him, doesn't he? Jacob manages to get a shot on him. And this is the only horror bit, is that it blows his his shin away, doesn't it? You see a gory shot. That's right. Of a musket ball taking someone's leg off. Now, before this, Shearsmith has has had momentary magical powers where he turns the world upside down and becomes the field. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yeah. Did you miss that bit? I think I missed that bit. Yeah, and I don't know where that led to. Oh, there was a bit where he... there is a strange bit where after he takes all his mushrooms, there's loads of wind. Yeah, the wind whips up. Yeah, and really yeah. strong, uh, and that might be why O'Neill ends up in the middle of the field. I can't remember how that happens. Could be right. So, so, so does does anybody survive this at the end? Oh yeah, absolutely. Because uh, really? O'Neill is lying there in the middle of the field, shooting at them with his multiple weapons that he's got on him. But at some point, I think Jacob's been shot. Uh, Cooper's finally died, although it took it took three or four attempts of him nearly dying. Cutler's been shot. Uh, Jacob and uh, Whitehead and Cooper had all formed a bit of a bond over the course of this misadventure, hadn't they? So, and finally, Whitehead, who's openly declared himself as a coward for the entire movie. He runs up into the middle of the field with a pistol and shoots O'Neill in the head. He says, you know, I'm the coward or whatever, or something. What's his last words? And then dons everybody's clothes, like like some weird sheep in wolf's clothing. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, so I... I Hard to make sense of, really. I, I like the idea it's in a quiet field, there's noise beyond the hedge, and there's all this madness going on, it's almost like the world doesn't notice kind of thing. I like that sense of nowhereness about it. That's the one thing that appeals to me. Really disappointed about the fact it's, it's just performed in modern English. Uh, black and white, I think, was a huge mistake. I don't know why they did that. <laughs> well, it, it maybe <coughs> maybe makes it easier to shoot. I don't know. Because... Uh, well, I'm just thinking, you know, like when you get different weather conditions and stuff and the lighting is all different, Perhaps, the colour yeah. grading yeah. is all different. I don't know, but it, it makes it seem pretentious, doesn't it? Uh, and this film, does it have pretensions above what it sets I out I don't to know, be? but they have some hay on on music, uh, and uh, we don't know the scales. Uh, baloo, baloo. Uh, but one of them is Ringy Ringy Roses, which is actually quite a modern uh, song and does not refer to the the the, the, the great does it the Black Death. It doesn't refer to that as people assume. No, it just doesn't. refers to COVID nineteen, doesn't it? I mean, that's when it came about. That's what, you know, since the mid since the early twentieth century, there's been this association of, of you know a tissue tissue will fall down being about the Black Death, but it's not. Uh, uh, fall down is just a curtsy, you know, in most of the in most of the places it's performed in Europe, and the lyrics around Europe are different. Uh, I like some of the details. Like, of course, soldiers weren't press ganged at that time on either side, I don't think. And they were obliged to fight on the royalist side. On the side, as you, you were saying, you know, there was that whole that whole fealty to your superior kind of thing within agrarian communities mm. that eventually led up to the Lord of the Manor and whatever, and, and beyond the Lord to, to you know, to whatever. 
aristocracy that rule a place at the time. Well, uh, so the the fool, you know, the fool guy. Let's call him Cooper. Yeah, yeah. You 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 call him you call him the fool, and everyone had him pegged as like a halfwit within I don't know yes. twenty seconds of meeting him. But I, I don't think he came across as particularly dim-witted at any he stage. He wasn't foolish, no. But he was, <laughs> he, was kind of, he was kind of called a fool, wasn't he, you see? Because he was relatively quiet and, and didn't have much to Was say. he wearing a fool's cap? Is that what you call those caps? He was, he was uneducated, at least. He didn't know what the stars were. Yeah, but so was Jacob. And he was educated, too. True, but he was gobby, you see. But, but so he was talking about how he got recruited by a singing troupe, or you know, a singing band that would go around the villages sing about the joys of war and say well the realities of war are a bit different aren't they so I like that you know they were, they were portraying maybe a society on the cusp of self-realisation you know moving beyond uh, a theocratic and you know, a, the- a theocratic theocentric way of way of living hmm. and the story makes no sense no, at all does it it doesn't really make any sense look Unless you assume it's an acid, an acid or a mushroom trip. It comes back to the same thing, this lazy writing thing, that everyone seems to just drop drugs in as the solution. It makes me feel like I'm completely out of touch. Like, uh, Well, here, I think you're supposed to say, whoa, like, is it the magic? Well, obviously, because magic doesn't exist. So is it magic or is it the mushrooms? Well, it's the mushrooms, obviously. But I think what we're supposed to think is like, Back in the day, you know, if, if I lived in a theocentric world where God was everything, would I think it was the mushrooms or the magic? Obviously, I'd think it was the magic, do you know what I mean? That's why witches can make a living on the hillsides of poor towns, you know, just by coming and hexing people once a year and saying, give us a sheep or, you know, your family will die, you know. Make sure you bury a cat in those walls. I, I mean, it's, I mean, those were the times. They lived in a time where God was fearsome. I don't see how... This narrative of taking mushrooms helps in any way. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> well, are they just trying to say, "Hey, war's crazy, and war wars was crazy, and war's crazy back then, and wild, and people were deserting and and, and, and dropping shit, you know, dropping acid at the same time whilst they were fighting." <laughs> I mean, is what are they trying to say, Richard? Anything or what? Help me. Well, now you're asking the question. I usually ask is what is, what does this mean? And of course, I don't know the answer. What I did like was the acting and the camaraderie and the yes. interaction of the characters was was excellent. I thought the costumes looked really convincing. I don't know what I don't know what Ronnie's costumes looked like back then, but yeah, I was going to say we in black and white. These are, these are very passable. <laughs> they could be Renaissance fair standard for all we know. I mean, <laughs> for all we know, but they look convincing. Which something that matters. And the hedge was convincing too. The, uh, the setting was very good. I didn't see like. Um, a, a, an electricity pylon or a telegraph pole or, you know, yeah. a satellite dish anywhere. So that was very oh, cool. I really appreciated 35 seconds of a spider weaving its web. <laughs> blades of glass, grass sort of uh, twinkling lightly in the breeze. Yeah, those are very appreciated, appreciated too. I don't know, but like beyond that, I, I, I'm hard-pressed to make sense of it or, or even want to make sense <laughs> of it. So that's my biggest truck with this movie. Christ. But back to the acting, which was good. Let's do the acting scores then. The acting was excellent. Rishi Smith, yeah. I think, is good in anything he's done. Uh, and the rest of the cast were also great. So this has to be an eight for the acting. Yeah, I think Reese, you know, I mean, I, he started off as pretty much a sketch, sketch actor, but he's, uh, I think all of them pretty much from, from that team, you know, Lee Gentleman, come so much, so much further in their acting. 
uh, and you know this was uh, a a broadly and well portrayed character. But I think what he does well is the characters teetering on the edge of vulnerability, and you know that he really he's really good at portraying that kind of needling flaw in a character that, that really gets to them and gets to other people. Kind of thing. <laughs> I think this is this was something he got through here. You, know, you really get a sense of craven kind of need for advancement that this his character has here. You know, I like the bit where he says he's taken up lace making. <laughs> oh, that was the funniest. You see, that, that that again was him, wasn't it? You know, <laughs> I've taken up lace making. I'm quite good actually. You know, kind of thing. You know, this need to please, this need to be self important. This you're better than maybe he actually is. Kind of thing. You know, he gets that that sort of neophyte to the monastery character done down to a T, you know. So, really well observed, I think. So, for that, a nine, I think, for the acting. I really, it's all really good. Woo! All right. So, <clears throat> what category to go do next? Uh, I think we have to do... Plots? Plots, don't we? I'll come straight in here and say two. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah, it's it's poor, isn't it? Like I say, I, I don't understand why it's set, exa- you know, in the English of the war. Like you said, there's some kind of magic stuff and reverence to religion, maybe. But th- th- this is a Treasure Island story. I mean, this would have worked if it was Long John Silver uh, yeah. telling everybody, telling his crew to dig up the treasure, getting his power up. Gather around, Marius. <laughs> so, I mean, is there something original and new here? Mm, no. Not really. So... Yeah, I'll go three for here. So, what categories do we give it since we can't place this? I mean, if it's a horror, we would do fear, factor, special effects. Well, I would do periodicity, oh. but I know nothing about the period. Yeah, we can't do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, historical so, accuracy. Oh. Hmm. Uh, we can do we can do mood, like for an art house movie, movie that pretends to be. Yes, it does pull something off here, doesn't it? It does, mostly boredom, but I. <sighs> I, I've got something of a, an English field, you know. Yes. Uh, but, I, you know, all I could imagine was the sound of cars going over the hill two miles away, <laughs> which is you know, part of lying in a field in the summer is to hear that the cars, you know, whizzing past in the night. In the, in the night isn't it? But uh, so I couldn't really go back in time for this. So in terms of atmosphere and echoiness and all that kind of stuff and feels, I'm going to give it a five, Richard. Do you know what? This could also, apart from being set in Treasure Island kind of thing, this could have been Civil War reenactors, couldn't it? Just going to the edge <laughs> and then taking acid. It would have worked in the same way. <laughs> it would actually, yeah. Um, so Just... it, it does have a mood. I don't know. The black and white stuff does lend it perhaps an unearned air of um, prof- profundity. So I'll give it a five yeah. for its atmosphere. Look, can we just stay at three scores? We can, yeah. We don't, we don't have to ring, ring the nonsense out of this any more than we have to. Listen, but what I do want to say is, do all stories come back to drugs at some point? I mean, look, in in can we get onto after we finish scoring? Because I think we need to talk about that. Okay, yeah, but I don't want to get in the way of the scores. Sure, let's just get just get rid of the scores while we can. Okay. Finally, it's going to be a four out of ten for me. Not a recommend. Yeah. Not a recommend. Yeah, some way off. You can skip this. I mean, if you like anything <laughs> about what we've said, you, you you might enjoy it. 
and it's a good performance from Reese. But I agree, it's a four. It's not a recommend. Yeah. Okay, so on to more interesting things, which is like, okay, before we talk about drugs in movies and stuff, Richard, let's just think of the movies we have watched that have done this thing with drugs. Yes. First of all, we watched a French little escapade about dancers. Ah. In a, in a dance audition. Climax. Now, that was a Climax. brilliant uh, sort of analysis of that. I, I really enjoyed but that. But at no point was obj- our objective no. camera view True. ever changed. That's right. We were viewing, you know, up high, flying a wall, bird in the sky, bird's eye view, and we got it. It was objectively presented, yeah. Okay. Quite right, yeah. Although we did see, I mean, we got to dip into their, you know, their confusion and stuff like that. So that was a success in the way they presented that, Okay. The next one was Midsummer, yeah. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Where they they just drug them all the drop time. a few yeah. on a hillside and, and start listening to the Earth kind of thing, and things got crazy. But you were saying there's some British ones that did this, Rich, and I can't remember what they were. Oh well, Sigourney in the Green Knight, he takes mushrooms on his oh, journey. Yes, thank you. And it's not pivotal, and it just it kicks into a part of his journey where he sees some really trippy things. Well, I, I don't. And it ruins. For Anglo, you know, students of Anglo-Saxon, they were all so looking forward to this, you know, the book finally coming to film. For them, huh. you know, the, the 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 lack of authenticity in representing the book's story, this particular part of it was a real disappointment for them. Does it cheapen it for them? So we've got Green Knight, and finally we've got this one, which is a field in England. So there's four of them that have done this. Did they take- and that's quite a lot, isn't it? Did they take drugs in Hereditary? I can't remember. Yes. Whatever movie that was. Hereditary was the other Ari Aster one where the kid is possessed by the demon. Okay, so at least five out of 70 movies we've watched, or less than 70. It's a lot. You know, it's going on for 10%. Either it's the movies that we choose or a chosen for us, or there's just something afoot here. But anyway, Richard, you want to get to your point about this, which was? I think I'm pretty liberal, as I've said, but I have been... I think my view on drugs... My, my view on drugs has been getting more and more conservative or I'm, I'm less inclined toward a, a liberal view for drugs these days I think than I, I used to be that you know the the thing about drugs is that they can really fuck people up and it's very difficult and they do they do yeah and, and it's very difficult to it's a disease fundamentally very difficult to treat people who have succumbed to the disease of an addiction to a a drug. Stimulant psychosis. I keep seeing the effects of it. This is with drugs typically use, you know, party, party and play, recreation. Party drugs, yeah. Sex drugs and stuff. But, you know, some people, and I don't know what proportion of it is, but I would say the proportion must be quite high from my anecdotal experience. Some people react to those drugs with stimulant psychosis, which seems to be the origin of why a lot of people get paranoid on stimulants. It's not the get paranoid, the stay paranoid. Stay you know, paranoid. Like, That's the thing. It, it, the it lasts for days and days and days. And sometimes, apparently, according to medical literature, sometimes it doesn't go away at all. You've only got one brain. You can't fuck it up and, and get a, a redo. <laughs> so, you know, getting back to the day-to-day and cake, you know. <laughs> yes, I mean, it's horribly exaggerated. But I don't think it's an exaggeration to say when you're putting this stuff into your brain, you're doing stuff to your brain that it's never had done to done to. Done to be done to before, kind of thing. Well, you're affecting so, an area of the brain known as Shatner's bassoon. <laughs> Cake is a made-up drug. <laughs> this is why I'm treading very carefully, you see, because it is so easy to, you know, to to become 
I don't know. You know Richard Madeley's <laughs> evil, evil, evil brother. You know when when you're talking about these things. Well, well, the thing about things like acid is you're making the brain make connections between you know different concepts and different ideas, just because of the way the neurons are firing off. I guess that you, you wouldn't normally make those connections between. And this, I think, is the reason why people, a lot of people, suffer from paranoia on stimulants for the same reason. Maybe LSD's effect is subtler or less, you know, um, less dramatic, but. You know, when you hear people suffering from this stuff talk, you know, they've made connection between one random thing and another random event. It's just, and that connection is now formed, you know, and it doesn't go away because like any memory, you know, when one neuron fires, the other neuron remembers and fires too, doesn't it? Seems scary to me. Well, anyway, (laughs) enough of this. Paul, what on earth are we going to do for next week's movie? Did we get there already? Well, that's a nice little bus ride, wasn't it? Into the <laughs> into the uh, into the fields of England. There, wow, yeah, well, gosh, uh, uh, what are we doing next week? That's a really good question. Well, maybe I mean, I are su- there any? Are there any? I could suggest one. Are there any I, choices? Yeah, could you suggest one? I could suggest that we change tack completely and do something more brainless. Uh, how about oh. a disaster movie? Called 2012. Well, that's that's a really famous one, almost as famous as like Independence Day, isn't it? It's by the same guy, Roland Emmerich, isn't it? Whoa. Okay. Well, yes, absolutely. I never thought you'd suggest it, like a brainless action (laughs) sort of uh, kind of movie. Yeah. Independence Day was like what? What was Independence Day? What do you mean? It was a film about aliens invading. I know, but what happened? Aliens invading. This is not about Aliens Invaded 2012. No, sir. No, it's about the end of the world, predicted accurately by the Mayans. Wow. And also a palindrome, the end of the world. It was it was uh, 21-11-12. It can't be because it was an American date. Yeah. So it doesn't make any sense, does it? Because no would be... So it would be 11-21. No. It wasn't a palindrome. I thought it was a palindrome. It's not. Okay, so 2012 it is. The end of the world in 2012. Uh, Until the next time. Until the next time. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Thank you.